Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio Wednesdays at 5pm for Brainwaves, Melbourne's drive-time radio show. Giving voice to people with mental illness. One in five have a mental illness, but five in five can enjoy this great program featuring heartwarming stories, great information and some laughs as well. Find us at 3CR. 855 on your AM dial. Sponsored by Mental Illness Fellowship of Victoria. Good afternoon listeners and welcome to another episode of Brainwaves at 3CR 855 on your AM dial. Today, uh, myself, Mark Jay, on the uh, on the panel, and I'm joined with my colleague, Mark H. Good afternoon. And, good afternoon, Mark. And uh, Kiara sitting in as well. How's it going? Well, <laughs> Kiara. Today we have uh, we have a special guest, John Watkins, uh, and John has been a mental health counsellor, educator, and independent researcher for more than thirty years. His main interest is in promoting holistic approaches to mental health and healing. His books include Living with Schizophrenia. Hearing Voices, A Common Human Experience, Healing Schizophrenia, Using Medication Wisely, and most well, most recently, Unshrinking Psychosis, and he's now working, I'm told, on The Soul's Perilous Journey. So uh, welcome, John. Thank you, Mark. It's a great pleasure to be here. John, if I could ask you, uh, what inspired you to write a book on the uh, wildly uh, misunderstood experience of psychosis? I had some experiences uh, of my own. Uh, in my 20s, very profound experiences, some of which were, I would say, wonderful and uh, life-enhancing, mind-opening, and some experiences which were extremely disconcerting, frightening, disorienting, uh, and disabling, I would say. Uh, Some of those experiences were catalysed by the use of drugs, and psychedelic drugs in particular. I'm I'm referring back to uh, the the early 70s, early to mid-70s. And they just raised so many questions in my mind about the nature of reality, the nature of the human mind, the nature of human experience, brain chemistry, the nature of uh, mental illness, so many questions, as, of course, many other people experience. And uh, I, I don't know, partly because of my intellectual inclinations, my interest in writing, my curiosity, and uh, uh, a little a little dash of karma, probably, <laughs> contributed to, you know, I, I ended up, uh, by circumstance, I ended up um, working in, a, in psychiatric hospitals as a psychiatric nurse. And in uh, that started in the mid seventies, so I was um, got. A, I had a chance in doing that to be very, very closely involved with psychiatric patients. And in those days, of course, it was pretty rough and ready in many ways. But um, you know, I, I often, when I think back, I often feel very grateful for the fact that I was ha- able to have that experience. Uh, you know, people who train in mental health professions now it's much more academic and college-based or university-based and so on the 
system that was in place when I trained was a, an apprenticeship system. So you spent most of your time working on the wards mm. uh, without any qualifications, I might add, um, other than common human decency probably, which I've found goes a long way and I still believe is probably the most important ingredient. Um, so I, so I uh, was fascinated by my own experience. I was fascinated by the experiences of people that I was encountering and um, started reading and studying. And uh, after many blind alleys and many, you know, often on a tangent to places that didn't really make much sense, I came to a point of feeling like I had enough information to start putting it together and uh, and writing books. And the, the plan in, in the first instance always was I was going to write a book about schizophrenia for various reasons, partly my own subjective experience and partly other people's. Schizophrenia always fascinated me. So I've, I've really only ever had, had the intention of writing a book about schizophrenia, but each book I seemed to start writing it and then it veered off into medication or veered off into voices or veered off, veered off into something else. So, um, And each one of those has been, has been an extraordinary adventure, you know, in, in its own way. Um, but, you know, always my, my feeling always was that um, there's meaning in these sorts of experiences, meaning and personal significance in these experiences which are labelled mental illness or psychosis or madness or whatever it might be and uh, that's you know born out of my own experience of very profound upsets and disturbances but feeling always that there's something in this of great value and great importance if only I could find what it is and not get lost in it and I think that's part of the the challenge for many people is that they can be overwhelmed or lost Mm, in their mm. experiences so I've I started this process and project of trying to find meaning in my own and other people's experience and that's what I've been doing ever since and it's more than 40 years later and I'm still looking. <laughs> wow, we. John, you mentioned a, in your current book, Unshrinking Psychosis, you, there's a phrase in there that uh, resonated with me, uh, the wounded soul. Can you just expand on that for us? Where yeah. that came from and what, what's yeah. the meaning behind that? Yeah. You know, the literal meaning of the word psyche, and psyche is the, the root word of psychiatry, psychology, psychiatry, you know, it's the, it's the root word. It comes from ancient Greek and it means soul in ancient Greek. And many people are not aware of that. Many people are not aware of the fact that the literal meaning of the word psychiatry, psychiatros, psychiatry, is healing the soul. And it's, you know, usually understood to be treating mental illness. But the literal meaning is healing the soul. And so, you know, the ancient Greek origins of this uh, term were very much in tune with the idea that there was some far deeper um, dimension being affected and involved in these sorts of experiences. And, you know, as, a, as an old hippie, I suppose I was always attracted to the idea that there's a soul dimension or a spiritual dimension or a cosmic dimension to, to these sort of experiences. So to me, uh, you know, people can be hurt in life, people can be traumatised in life, and we're very, you know, aware now of the role of trauma in, in uh, 
contributing to the causation or onset of uh, mental illnesses of various kinds. But, you know, rather than rather than talking about trauma, I like to talk about wounding because I think everyone can relate to the idea of being wounded. Mm. You know, trauma is something that, you know, oh, I'm lucky I didn't have a, an unfortunate experience when I was being brought up. I wasn't exposed to trauma or abuse or sexual, you know, things like that, um, which is you know, f- one one very important dimension of all of these things. But I think everyone, every human being has been wounded along the way by life, by life's experience. So to me, you know, if we're interested in getting away from stigma, I like to think that every human being is on a continuum of woundedness. Mm-hmm. And rather than saying that some people have been traumatised and, 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 and that's contributed to mental illness, that puts them in a separate category... I like to think of all human beings on a continuum and all of us are wounded to some degree and therefore all of us need healing mm. of some kind. So I, I think then that universalises mm. uh, the situation and mm. if we're interested in reducing stigma and moving away from that way of thinking about things, then to me that's, that's a helpful way to conceptualise. The, con- the concept of continuum is, is, is really useful in most human presentations, I believe. Gender, sexuality, all kinds of things I think can be better articulated along a continuum rather than that sort of black and white thinking that tends to go with you are well, you are unwell, you are normal, you are abnormal. So I really respect the way you've, um, the way you've articulated that, John. Um, your book explores the notion that psychosis isn't something that strikes out of the blue and that it is often a combination of gradually unfolding factors such as social, psychological, spiritual and or biological influences. Why do you think there's so much genetic determinism surrounding psychosis in the medical model? It's, that's, a, that's a hard one to answer. Look, I'm a great respecter of science. I really, you know, I, I, I had a scientific training earlier in my life along the way and um, I'm a great respecter of science and the scientific method. Um, but I do think, um, you know, it's partly, it's partly because we have, to, we have to respect the evidence. If there is evidence to support any particular point of view, whether it's genetics, whether it's neurochemistry, whether it's this, that or the other thing, if there's evidence to support it, good, credible, sound evidence to support it, then we must respect that. But to my way of thinking, um, part of the temptation of placing a lot of emphasis on physical um, etiological factors, such as genes and such as neuro. Uh, neurological functioning is that it's easier to examine those things. Mm. It's far easier to examine those measurable. things. Measurable. Mm. They're measurable. Mm. You know, I had an experience in uh, a couple of years ago in London, which was very, you know, very instructive. I don't know if we've got time to talk about this, but I went to the Freud Museum in, in uh, London, mm. and y- you can actually go into the room where Freud saw clients. The couch is there, and you can actually, mm. you know, wow. it's, <laughs> it's almost like the Holy Grail. You, but you can go if you're in London. You can go to the Freud Museum. And uh, just by coincidence, while I was in London, there was an exhibition at the Science Museum, which was called uh, Exploring the Mind. And I thought, hey, that's for me. This is my cup of tea. I'll go to that. So I went to the Science Museum the following day, and I was astounded. The, the section of the Science Museum had been set aside for this exhibition. I walked in through, the, paid my fee, walked in through the thing, and it was just wall-to-wall computers, 
technological, you know, imagery, CT, you know, all this very high-tech kind of stuff. And I thought, wait on, this is supposed to be exploring the mind, but it's actually the brain, the brain that they're exploring. That distinction. And I realised, you know, that whatever we might say about Freud, and many of Freud's ideas are passe probably and, you know, incorrect, but whatever we might say about Freud, Freud was exploring the mind in the only way possible. Yeah. And that is by introspection. Mm. We can't know what's going on in the mind, the mind, not the brain, mm. without looking within or having people report what's going on in their mind. We can examine the brain. We can examine the brain even if people are not alive to tell us about the experience. <laughs> we can take x-rays and put in a cadaver. So I realised that Freud was onto something that we've lost sight of, that introspective approach we want hardcore scientific data yeah mm. and and i think that 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 whole attitude has also given rise to the genetics we can see that we can measure them we yeah. can actually tease them apart look there's the dna strands you know you can sh- actually show them but it doesn't tell us anything about what people are experiencing mm. you can't it's an interesting, interesting, just very, very important distinction. There's, there's, there's the physiology that they can measure, but the impact or the or the effect that has on an individual's mind is going to be individual. And it's impossible to predict. You know, exactly. Yeah. We can measure your brain activity right now and mine, and they might on a scan show very similar kinds of activity. But what you're thinking, feeling, and experiencing could be quite different, you know, to mine and to to anyone else's. It's sort of like that lens that we all see the world from. I, I often think we're all in the same room right now, we're all experiencing the same sensory inputs, but we are all experiencing it completely differently. Mm. It's always the case. So that sort yeah. of speaks to that kind of thought process, I take it. So when we're talking about um, a complex experience such as what's referred to as mental illness, I yeah. don't like to use the term. Because I don't even like to use the word illness because for me, why why do we say psychosis is an illness? Why don't we call it an experience? Because that's what it is. It's an experience. <laughs> so again, if we're interested in getting away from the stigmatisation of it and yeah. labelling yeah. and distancing us from them, yeah. we're putting everyone in the same basket, then I call, I refer to psychotic experience. Albeit, you know, in many instances, frightening, overwhelming and disabling for people. That can be true and is often often the case. And we need to address that, not romanticising it. But yeah, yeah. to me, um, if we stick to the idea of these are human experiences related to a very complex array of factors, past, present and possibly future, some of which are biological, genes and brain chemistry and so on, but the, the, the bulk of which are subjective mm. and experiential. Very complex, very challenging, and I'll probably doing this, be doing this for another 20 or 30 years. <laughs> and more strength you're even more questions. <laughs> what we will do, we'll just go to a quick break now, just a community announcement or so. We'll be back with you in just a moment. Welcome back, listeners. Uh, Welcome back to Brainwaves. Uh, Today we have John Watkins uh, in our studio talking about um, his work around psychosis and we'll just move back into that uh, discussion now. Thanks, Mark. John, I wanted to ask, you touch on an interesting concept in your book, the link between uh, states of psychosis and dreaming. Can you expand a little bit on this uh, idea for our listeners? Yeah, 
Yep, and that's that's. Uh, thank you for that question. That's been a very very um, powerful metaphor um, uh, over the years. You know, that book's been around for a few years, but over the years. Um, a great many people have said to me that has finally made sense of something that I've never been quite able to get my head around. Um, the characteristics of psychosis are hallucinations and delusions and being out of touch with reality. They're, you know, they're the, they're the hallmarks and psychiatrists look to see whether people have delusions, are experiencing hallucinations and are out of touch with reality to one degree or another. And it occurred to me, you know, thinking about that uh, and working with people having those experiences, that all of us, every human being, has experiences of seeing or perceiving things that aren't really there in the outside world, um, believing things that aren't factually true and for which there's no evidence, and being out of touch with reality. And that is when we're dreaming. Do we not? Mm. We see things that aren't really there. We wake up and they're not there anymore. We were seeing them. We were certain that they were true when we were seeing them, when we were dreaming. We experienced we, it as and, if it was actually happening. And we, and we act accordingly. We might be running, you know, running to get away from the lion that's chasing us along the street or something like that. We're absolutely terrified, believe that the lion is about to catch us if we can't run fast enough. We wake up and we realise, total fantasy. I'm safe. I was in my bed. No, there's no problem. So we all have experiences which are psychotic-like in that regard. And whether those dreams that we have are pleasant or unpleasant, well, that varies. So we're lucky we have pleasant dreams and we're unlucky we have bad ones or scary ones, which we call nightmares. Mm. I think exactly the same kind of thing. And it was Jung, actually, Carl Jung, that pointed out that this uh, comparison and what he said was, and I've discussed it in the book, what he said was the only difference between a person who's dreaming and a person who's psychotic is that the psychotic person is dreaming while they're awake. Wow. You think about that, the dreaming while they're awake. So right now, if we started having a dream and started seeing things that were conjured up by our imagination as they are in sleep, or believing things, that there's a a lion about to come through that door and chase us around the studio, we would be psychotic. But if we have an experience like that, for you and I, we're likely only to have an experience like that when we're dreaming. It doesn't happen when we're awake. Mm. So for some people, for reasons that we don't fully understand yet, um, it, this sort of experience occurs while they're awake mm. and, and creates you know, what I call the clash of realities because you've got the physical world, the real world, the real yeah. world, and the dream world, the virtual world occurring at the same time. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and how do you know which one's which and how do you, which one do you respond to and, mm. you know, and, and all the rest of it. And again, I think this, um, this uh, metaphor is useful because it again says all of us, without exception, have psychotic-like experiences. Mm. And it isn't that only a very small 1% to 2% of the population are prone to these weird experiences which are called psychosis all of us have psychotic like experiences some of us uh, or most of us fortunately are not um, in the situation of having them occur while we're awake and therefore we don't have to Mm. grapple with that clash and Mm. undergo that experience of the clash of realities that's such an interesting concept the link between dreaming and psychosis i'm wondering do you think there's a similarity too in examining uh the context of psychotic delusions as there can be in dreams in getting a picture of what stresses are going on for an individual the content sure 
for yeah. sure. The content is very important. You know, if you if you look at a dream, an ordinary sleeping dream, a regular kind of dream, if, you know, there are there are um, whole schools of thought that have been built around Freud. You know, mm. that's one of the primary tools that he used. He said the he he said the dream is the royal road to the unconscious. In in other words, examining dreams, studying dreams interpreting dreams, analysing dreams was a way of finding out what was going on in the unconscious of the dreamer. And Jung had a similar kind of view. He's, he's moved it in a different direction, but a similar kind of view. So I think that, um, you know, it, it, it makes sense to me. You know, why is it, you know, like a lot of people hear voices, for example, a lot of people who have a diagnosis of some mm-hmm. kind of psychotic sort of hear voices. But why is it that some hear voices which they experience as very frightening, you know, put, telling them horrible things, you're bad, you, you know, should die, yeah. uh, derogatory comments or even attacking comments. And other people say, no, these voices are beautiful. They're my companions, they're my guides, mm. they're my friends. And some and are so neutral on. as well. So what determines that? Again, if, if it's all about genes and it's all about chemistry, well, how, how is it that they don't all hear the same voices? Mm. So it must have something to do with the psychology of the person's current situation and probably their past, their early experiences have contributed of, of to Of the it. individual's response and processing of the stimuli, effectively. Yeah, and, and also memori- memory of things that may have occurred in the past. That informs the way they perceive stressors. And that, that, that have laid down. You know, we, we can have experiences in our dreams which are you know, uh, reminiscent of experiences that we had in childhood, for example, significant experiences or significant individuals or relationships that we had in childhood. And something similar can occur in in psychosis. The beauty part of what you're saying there for me, John, is that more broadly, people are able to relate to another human's experience of psychosis by merely... Uh, drawing upon the normal human, the in inverted commas, normal experience of a dream, a nightmare, or a good dream, a pleasant dream, all the different kinds of dreams one can have. And it occurs to me some of the dreams that terrify me the most are seemingly innocuous, but they're based on the past context of trauma. So the actual stressors on the face of it are quite innocuous and yet they terrify me mm-hmm. because of the context so all the different human ways of processing circumstance i suppose stressors and context would come into play in all these things and so how are you ever going to un- untangle that web <laughs> <laughs> well that's right so that's that's partly why the temptation is to get, take you know make it easy let's 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 put all that to one side and let's go back to the genome let's go back to the brain chemistry because yeah. it's more simple you know more simple and more empirically supported and yeah. You're much more likely to get research funding. Aren't <laughs> <laughs> much more economically viable, eh? Isn't that, isn't that a terrible... You um, can't measure a dream. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is part of the problem. And I think, you know, in some ways, you know, as we said before, whatever uh, views and opinions people might have about people such as Freud and such, such as Jung, they were really tuned in to as far as I'm concerned yeah. tuned into the fact that it was the inner world it was the life of the mind not the brain the mind I love that distinction that's that's that, the one you keep coming back to and I think it's really powerful yeah mm. yeah yeah well it is it is and and you know the soul's perilous journey I'll get a plug in yeah you the, will. Soul, <laughs> the soul's perilous journey you know if if 
if uh, the word psychiatry literally means the, the healing of the soul, so then the question is, you know, what happens to the soul in this life mm-hmm. from the time that we're born through to, you know, this this incredible journey that we undertake, all of us, uh, if you accept the notion of a soul, and obviously, you know, that's probably for many people who are more materialistically inclined, something that gets shunted off to the side. But I like to say you've got one, whether you know it or not. <laughs> it's only a matter of awareness here. It, it's at play. <laughs> and, yeah, and so, uh, you know, I've, I've actually become interested in, you know, psychosis obviously has been a, 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 a central interest in my life, but more broadly I find myself thinking, what about all of us, all of us human beings in the, in the search for meaning, in the journey of life, in the valleys and troughs of life, in the wounds that we've experienced, in the challenges that we've faced? You know, I think understanding that provides a broader and deeper context for understanding what's called mental illness as well and that's probably where my thinking Mm. is going now John can I'm just aware of the time we're close almost wrapping up I wanted to ask what are some helpful attitudes and behaviors that carers and community members can take when supporting someone's recovery who you know someone who may have psychosis that, oh, look, it's such a challenging question, isn't it? Because, um, you know, I'm not naive. I understand that um, for for carers, for family members, uh, trying to be supportive, endeavouring to be supportive and, and, and responsive to, sensitively responsive to someone who's experiencing psychosis, you know, so often it's so um, challenging, so frightening, possibly threatening, depending on what mm. is happening with the person or what they're doing, that sometimes people um, say to me, yeah, well, these ideas are all very interesting, John, but if you've got a son or daughter living at home or, you know, someone yeah. who's really out of control, then that's, uh, you know, that's uh, a different situation altogether. But I don't know. I think that if we, you know, I said at the start, you know, common human decency... I, I, what I refer to as the psychology of simple human presence, you know, just actually being present as an open and responsive and sensitive human being. I think if you can manage that, you know, obviously when, when people are distressed and perhaps acting in ways that are personally challenging, um, it can be very difficult. But if we can actually maintain our our centre and our presence, you know, our presence yeah, and, and radiate, I, I guess what I try to do, just radiate... Um, you know, sanity. And positive regard. And positive regard. Look, it John, goes a long way. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure. We unfortunately are just about out of time. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you about this. And I, I, I hope listeners also have taken what we clearly have in the studio on board and opened their hearts a little bit. And that, uh, that I suppose, sense of presence and, uh, and positive regard for fellow humans and trying to find that thing that unites us rather than divides us in this uh, wonderful life of ours. Thank you so much. All the best with your ongoing work on your latest uh, latest book. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Now, uh, uh, listeners, I can uh, let you know now that Brainwaves has officially got a website up. Uh, the Brainwaves, it's called, it is, sorry, www.brainwaves.org.au. And uh, the podcast page on that holds all of our previous shows in one convenient location. The page contains happy snaps of the team, 
sans me, by the way, uh, <laughs> with, uh, with various guests, ability to provide feedback about the show and even allows you to like, share and tweet, whatever that means, your um, favourite podcasts. <laughs> Podcasts are stored on the page infinitely, infinitely, I like the sound of that, which means you can listen to shows as far back as 2013. Uh, to listen to previous Brainwave shows, check out our new website at www.brainwaves.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.